It is March 21st, 1999 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, where we are at the 71st Academy Awards honoring the best films of 1998. It's the first time we've ever been on a Sunday, and it's now time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to... Shakespeare in Love. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please, the podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we're your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. We're back. You said we're... Okay, this is the first one on a Sunday. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. That's wild. Yes, and I can tell you why. Okay, please do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the record ratings last year, 1990. Uh, seven Oscars in 1998 um, attracted 57 million people. They'll never attract any more than they did uh, that night. And so they decided they wanted to try to build on that success. And uh, without especially having a blockbuster like Titanic to anchor <laughs> the situation. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> and you get um, one more in there. One more. <laughs> um. They decided that moving it to Sunday would allow them to have a larger audience, and it also would be easier to host the event in L.A. on a Sunday versus a Monday because they wouldn't be uh, bottlenecking the regular uh, workday traffic. It's true. Yeah. That's so this true. is how Oscar came to be on Sunday and has been on Sunday ever since. And who is our host this Sunday? None other than Miss Whoopi Goldberg, her third time hosting the ceremony. And she did a great (laughs) job. She did do a great job. She very uh, famously in this one uh, comes out um, in uh, Elizabethan makeup and dress, um, which garnered a little bit of controversy, but uh, she's all Whoopi... Whoopi has that tendency. At the time, she was known for occasionally saying things that were uh, hot button. Um, (laughs) And believe it or not, was believed to be something of a a loose cannon in the 90s, even though everybody liked her, because her stand-up was very mature. Right. Um, And she did get in some some jokes that are a little sexual um, in the opening. Yeah. Um, She comes out and she says that... uh, uh, she's the last one hosting a ceremony in the 20th century, so she says she is the last 20th century fox. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's um, good. And she talked about how she always gets the controversial ceremonies, like controversial things have happened in the year prior, and then she has to host. And so she has some jokes in there, like the most controversial thing, but when I hosted the last time, the most controversial thing you could put on a dress was a ribbon. And she's referencing the Clinton scandal in the late 90s. <laughs> right. Um, and she says something like, forget Y2K, why to me? <laughs> she talks about William Shakespeare and says, little w- Willie is very large, baby. Um, uh, and she says that uh, the movie There's Something About Mary was based on a very early William Shakespeare play called Much, Ad- Much, no- Much Nothing About Ado. <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay, about a do a hairdo, a face yeah. do a hairdo. There um, it is. There it is. That took a ben moment. Ben <laughs> Stiller, she said. Ben Stiller does that, does that scene and gets three million. George Michael does it and get arre- gets arrested. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and then she like after all those jokes, she goes, "You're missing Billy about this moment, aren't you?" <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, she points out how many queens um, Judy Dench has played. And says she's her goal is to play every queen in England, and says next year she's doing Boy George. <laughs> there we go. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> and finally, she she rounds things out at the end of her monologue by saying that she's Armageddon ready to hand out some little bob boys. <laughs> Armageddon, Armageddon. Love it. Like the movie. <laughs> um, but something uh, she references something in her monologue. Uh, that is on everyone's tongues this year that actually happened many, many years before, about 50 years before this ceremony, um, that is freshly back in people's minds because of who gets an honorary Oscar this year. 
And that man is named Elia Kazan, which you've you been guys following us for the entire time we've been doing this. We talk a lot about Elia Kazan back in the 40s and 50s. He was famous for ratting on a lot of his industry peers and basically exposing them as communist or friendly to communism, essentially, which then in turn blacklisted a lot of writers, actors, actresses, um, and made a lot of people hate him. So now, as you just said, over 40 years later, he's getting an honorary award. And Ranch, you just tell me, what was the reaction of the audience when Elia Kazan accepts his honorary Oscar? You can watch all of this on YouTube, by the way, if you guys want to see in person. But basically, there there is a divide. Half of the audience applauds. There is some booing. Half of the audience stands up. Half of them remain seated. It is very awkward. Mm-hmm. And um, you can tell the contention remains. And his legacy remains controversial, as we talked about in the On the Waterfront Best Picture 1954 about how that movie is a great film that looking at it in context maybe has a problematic message. Um, I mean, like, Elia Gazan is such a tough one to discuss because I, I, every movie I've seen of his, I've loved. I think he's a absolutely astounding director, but good Lord, you know, separating the man and the, and the art is is something and um you know if you get further into his history it's really interesting to look at his friendship with arthur miller and how that dissolved after he named names including (laughs) the name arthur miller you know um there's uh there's a lot to to tap into there but um whoopi also mentions this in her opening monologue when she you know that we were talking about the hollywood blacklist and she says i thought that the blacklist was just me and hattie mcdaniel um (laughs) oh god which is actually kind of awful that like at this point in 1999 when the ceremony is they are the only two black actresses with oscars (laughs) that's really embarrassing That yeah, there's only two. I think at this point there's the two of them in the supporting actress category, and then we have um, just two male actors who have won at this point. Uh, Denzel, Denzel no. and Sydney. Denzel, yeah, Denzel and Sydney. had one supporting. Yeah, yeah. Morgan Freeman, not yet. Hasn't yet. Hasn't not yet. yet. Now, um, so yeah, this is uh, she's she's like I I like. This is the thing I like about Whoopi. Whoopi a lot of times has jokes um, at the Oscars that are subtly poking at Hollywood um, and feel, but also feel insider-y, you know? And that's the mark of a great host. I'm actually really excited. This last week, um, before we recorded, this will air in a couple weeks, but when we recorded, they announced the host for this year's Oscars, and we have um, uh, Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and um, uh, uh, Wendy, S- Win- woo, Wanda Sykes. Um, three people who I think fit the bill of that, like they're inside but they're outside. You know, um, like they can commentate on it and they can poke fun at Hollywood, and Hollywood won't take offense. But they're still, um, but they're still not afraid. I think to go after more more interesting uh jokes so true i'm i'm interested to see how how they do but yes this was a very uh the moment with Eli Gazam was one of the most awkward in in history that's very true and a lot of other kind of cool firsts or seconds happen in this ceremony too the movie life is beautiful becomes only the second film to simultaneously be nominated for Best Foreign Film and Best Picture since the movie Z, which was nominated back in 1969, uh, which is something we're seeing, uh, like an upswing in the trend of that happening now. We're seeing a lot of foreign films crossing over into the Best Picture race, including this year, of course, last year, the year before. It's happening a lot more recently, and Life is Beautiful was kind of a precursor for that because not only was it nominated for those two Oscars, He was also nominated for five others as well, seven Oscar nominations in total, winning quite a few there too. Um, 
It was then since beaten by Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Roma. They were both nominated for 10 Oscars at their respective ceremonies. So Life is Beautiful kind of started that trend of the crossover of foreign films getting into more of a race in the Oscars. Um, and speaking of that, Roberto Benigni does become the second person to direct himself to a Best Actor Oscar in Life is Beautiful. He was the first since Laurence Olivier did it back in 1948 for a Shakespearean film, Hamlet. Connections all over the place. Look at that. Look at that. And speaking of Shakespeare, uh, one more thing. Kate Blanchett and Judy Dench uh, do become the first pair to be nominated and in this case, Dench won, for playing the same person in different movies. They both portray Queen Elizabeth I in their respective films at different points in her life, but still very bizarre that that happened in one ceremony. And it's funny that it happened the year after we had the first instance of uh, two actresses being named, uh, nominated for the same character in the same film. Remember, that happened last year with Titanic, and now we... Yep. Yeah. Very um, true. You know what also happened this year? Uh, Meryl Streep received her 10th Oscar nomination, making tying uh, her for number two in most nominations with Betty Davis. True. Yes. And it's so for a pretty good now... film, too. I like One True Thing. Do you like One True Thing? If I knew that you would be happy, I would close my eyes now. I would... It's so much easier to be happy, my love. It's so much easier to choose to love the things that you have. I actually have not seen One True Thing. I know what it's about. It's pretty sweet, and she does a really good job in it. I fully support her nomination. I don't think it's a win, but I support the nomination. Um, all right, let's get into some snubs. Tell me, what are some of your snubs this year? There is one snub that I'm going to talk about, <laughs> and this okay. is... This is for your consideration in all categories. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I saw this movie opening weekend. It was my birthday weekend. Mm -hmm. And I loved the movie that it was based on. And I love the remake as well. I am talking about none other than Lindsay Lohan and Lindsay Lohan in... The Parrot Trap. Okay, there it is. <laughs> now, wait. You couldn't even give me a... You couldn't even single out a category. You're just giving it a huge campaign. There's so many categories we can consider this in. Okay, okay, okay. It has a great soundtrack. True. I don't know how much of it qualifies for any Oscars because Slim it's mainly just using pop songs. But, um, but I mean, how many... The CD soundtrack, which is not available on iTunes, included, I know, included um, Do You Believe in Magic? L-O-V-E by Nat King Cole. It also included um, a cover of Top of the World and Bad to the Bone. And uh, 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 here comes the sun. A cover, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. There she goes. Mm -hmm. All in the, and in the mood. Glenn Miller. I mean, like, what a great and soundtrack. None able to First be nominated. All, none. Not the point. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, you'll be bopping along while it's going along. Um, secondly, we get. Dennis Quaid, before he was conservative, and he, when he was married to... I mean, he might have been. I don't know. He wasn't talking about politics then. Um, but uh, he is married to Meg Ryan at this point. So, you know, this is like a good phase for Dennis Quaid. And um, he uh, is absolutely uh, charming, owning his little wine winery in Napa. And we get Natasha Richardson, who we love. Um... Uh, who is just absolutely delightful and, and totally could be in the supporting actress race, I guess. You know, because I'm going to have to give lead actress to the dual role that Lindsay Lohan pulls off playing both a Brit and an American. She just masters that accent, too, at like 10 years old. And it's <laughs> fantastic. 
um, as Annie and Hallie. And then we have the amazing performance by none other than everybody's favorite woman to hate. She plays, uh, her name is Elaine Hendricks Mm -hmm. in real life. And she totally leans into the fact that she played a villain in this movie and posts memes about it all the time. And she, uh, she plays Meredith Blake, who <laughs> apparently is 26 years old in this movie, which makes Barf. me feel very old. Barf. I know. I know. Um, and she's going to, ma- and she wants to send off the kids to boarding school. My point is, in all of this, Nancy Myers crafts a delightful film that I guarantee you, you will watch and smile and want to do the secret handshake that Hallie and Annie do with the butler. And let me tell you, I saw a video from a wedding ceremony of two gay guys. Um, I guess I could just say two guys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think the gay would be implied here. <laughs> the gay would be implied, yes. Um, it's okay, guys. I'm part of the community. Um, <laughs> you can hate uh, on your own. <laughs> They were the cutest, they were the cutest ever, because whenever their officiant said, you may now kiss the grooms, the music comes on, which is called Soulful Strut, is the name of the song. Soulful Strut starts playing, and the two guys do the secret handshake, and then kiss. Adorable. That is what we call a movie that has entered the cultural zeitgeist. Legacy. (laughs) And it took forever for Disney to release this anamorphically and on Blu-ray, which is just unacceptable. But I believe it's available to stream now on Disney+. Plus. So you should just do yourself a favor and have a delightful day where you watch both Parent Traps because they're both perfect. Perfect movies that should be considered in all categories. And that's the end. Listen, I can get on board with Natasha Richardson. I think she's really funny in Parent Trap, actually. Okay. That's as far as I'll go on this one. <laughs> You don't, as far you don't as you get directing no. screenplay. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Lindsay. <laughs> no. No. I... Musical score. No. The answer is no. I mean, the answer is no. I... Because here's some more legitimate snubs for you. Le- These are legit. What? Oh. <laughs> threat, the threat. <laughs> Coming for you. What? Listen, we have a couple of ten-year-old rants is just so upset with you. There's a couple of best actor snubs here. One being Joseph Fiennes in Shakespeare in Love. Fully yes. think he deserves to be nominated for playing Will Shakespeare. Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Absolutely ridiculous that he was not thrown in the race, even after winning a Golden Globe. This far and away is, I think, Jim Carrey's best performance. Probably one of his most iconic. He deserved to be in the running. In the lead actress category, where is Susan Sarandon in Stepmom? I love Stepmom so much. She's heartbreaking in it, and this is a movie that made me afraid of cancer. I remember watching this movie in the end when she dies of cancer, thinking in my head, oh god, anytime I hear the word cancer now, I just think of Susan Sarandon dying in Stepmom. That's it. And here's one that's, you know, kind of just for me, really. Best original song from Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, Love Will Find a Way. That's probably my favorite Disney song. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll play it here if you don't remember it. I may not be brave or strong or smart, but somewhere in my secret heart, I know love will find a way. Anywhere I go, I'm home. I don't think it's, I don't think it qualifies. Isn't that a TV movie? What? It was, it had a theatrical release, didn't it? I don't think it did, Sam. That's embarrassing. It should have. It probably <laughs> did. I don't know. You know, to be fair, we only watched it at home because yeah, direct we to video. It. Direct, direct to video. video. Come on, that can qualify for Oscars. No, it can't. It legitimately is in the rules that it cannot. All right, you well, took Parent Trap from me. I'm taking this from you. Well, that's our trade-off then. That's our trade-off. <laughs> I can have Lion King too if you can have Parent Trap. <laughs> but the other things you said are legitimate and blah 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 blah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's okay. move to spotlights. Actually, I don't think you'd get a spotlight because you just spotlighted the parent trap for 20 minutes, so let's move on. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What else do you want to talk I mean, about? Fair. What, those, what else should I? What else is there to talk about now? I could, like, <laughs> I've talked about the, the most important trap. thing that happened in 1998. I don't know. Um, I would like to spotlight one Mister Ian McKellen in the movie Gods and Monsters. Okay. Pause. 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 I'm spotlighting the same thing. But go ahead. I want to hear you talk about it first. Then I'll talk. <laughs> I love that we had the same idea. <laughs> well, honestly, if I was to go a little bit farther, I think Gods and Monsters was snubbed um, in picture and director. I think supporting actor for Brendan Fraser would have been totally legitimate. I think this is probably, I, like, Brendan Fraser, you know, he's he was known in the late 90s for George of the Jungle and uh, uh, Dudley Do-Right and all those movies where he is absolutely gorgeous, but... Dudley Do-Right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just having a flash flashback. <laughs> Did we mention George of the Jungle and Snubs in 1986? <laughs> I, I think that one was left off. Too bad, too bad. That's too bad. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but he is, he's like so legitimately great in this, in this movie. Um, and, Ian McKellen plays uh, James Whale, who was the director of uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, among other films. And um, actually, a lot of really, really great movies, some of which we've talked about on this podcast back in the 1930s. And he was an openly gay man who um, committed suicide by drowning himself in his swimming pool. And this movie presents a very fictionalized version of his last uh the last part of his life um where they kind of speculate as to what might have happened i guess Mm -hmm. and um they present this fictitious character that's played by brendan fraser who um is this beautiful young man that he develops quite an attraction to um who is uh working for him and they strike up a friendship and of course you know, they he has other ideas, but he has all this self-hate inside of him. And it's really very tragic and heartbreaking to watch. And the fact, part of the reason this movie works so incredibly well is because Ian McKellen is an actual gay man. And Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. It would be so easy to cast a straight person in this role... And I don't think you would get the same level of empathy toward this character who could be played as lecherous as you do with Ian McKellen, who's able to bring the pathos of what it means to be gay in a world that does not accept you, even living in a supposed liberal society such as Hollywood. Um, and But Hollywood at that time was, of course, you know, caught in the production code and all this other stuff is going on and so uh, it's just absolutely um it's a really really great i think totally underrated movie and ian mckellen gives maybe the performance of his entire career and ian mckellen i might remind everyone does not have an academy award and uh while i do not disagree with the win for Life is Beautiful here. I do think that this was maybe, if any performance of his should have won, it's it's this. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And I totally love what you said about the authenticity that's brought to this performance by having a gay man in a gay role. Because the brilliant thing about this is Ian McKellen in portraying this man, there's no stereotyping in the mannerisms or his speech. He's simply just a man coming to terms with himself at the end of his life, which is totally relatable. Not even just to straight people, to gay, or excuse me, not even just to gay people, but to straight people as well. You know, we all have to eventually face ourselves. And that's what this movie really is. Because as you talked about, yes, he was out to a lot of his peers and those in the industry. There was There was no hiding there. But to the larger population, it was still very much hush-hush, don't talk about it, yada, yada, yada. You know, because you said they have to play for the production code and playing to newspapers and to families all over the world. 
and all that stuff. So there's that weird dichotomy of living in the 1950s as an openly gay man in a very liberal community, but having to closet yourself for the population, the mass population, and what that does to you. And it clearly twists and haunted and destroyed James Whale's life toward the end. You know, the movie's called Gods and Monsters, and you know, James Whale kind of was a godlike figure creating all these characters like the Bride of Frankenstein, but toward the end of his life, he kind of became the monsters he created on the screen because of how much he hated himself. And I think that's very clear in this movie. He hates himself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's tragic just to watch him unravel in the last few days of his life. Um, yeah. It's a genius performance. It's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. And it is my pick for lead actor as well. It's what I would have given the Oscar to. Yeah. Um, I think the only other things that would maybe give that a run for money are are unnominated Jim Carrey, who mm-hmm. should have been nominated for the Truman Show. The Truman Show should also be in the Best Picture race. I just want to say, a hundred percent. You're absolutely Truman right. Show is one of the best movies of the '90s. I I wish it was here. Um, and uh, the only other the only other performance that I think maybe rivals that this year is the performances of Whitney Houston, and Mariah Carey singing. Um, <laughs> when you believe when you believe At the Oscars live. (laughs) Listen, but honestly, honestly, the original song category this year is quite ridiculous. I mean, you have the song from Armageddon, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. We have The Prayer with Celine Dion and Quest for Camelot. Um, a song from the Horse Whisperer, I guess, and Babe Pig in the City. Not so great, but the Prince of Egypt. When you believe, I mean, three songs Ugh, that we still sing the all the song. time today. Wonderful songs, yes. And if you have not watching Whitney and Mariah sing on stage, this song, complete, oh backed up with a full choir behind them, is magic. And I am willing to bet that if you are not currently a homosexual. You will become one after watching this performance. It is insane and incredible. Their voices together? Crazy. My goodness. I can't even. It's just so much good stuff. It is. Okay, let's get into our main event rounds. Let's talk about our best picture winner this year, which was Shakespeare in Love. So this movie is about a young William Shakespeare who falls in love with Viola de Lesseps, the daughter of a wealthy merchant, while she disguises herself as a man in order to appear in his new play. However, she is already betrothed to the evil Lord Wessex, and their affair becomes Shakespeare's inspiration for Romeo and Juliet. So by the numbers here, this movie cost $25 million to make, took home worldwide almost $300 million, nominated for 13 Academy Awards, the most of any movie that year, won seven of them, the most of any movie that year. And if we're talking about how it was, um, uh, how the critics responded to it, it holds a 93% Rotten Tomatoes score, which is pretty incredible for a Best Picture movie. So, Rance, I know this was your... First time watching this movie. So, I want to ask you, based on a letter grade system, A to F, what letter grade do you give this movie? And tell me why. 
Um, I give it a B plus. Um, I think it is a very sweet, uh, romantic film that has heavy doses of comedy. Um, I think that uh, the cast does an absolutely outstanding job across the board. I think it is sumptuous in its uh, color and um, and I think the script is very lyrical and very fitting of the man who is the central figure in the story. Um, you know, I'm not like a Shakespeare head or anything, um, but I enjoyed the way that they incorporated his plays, particularly Romeo and Juliet, um, into the story. And um, I think that it is a nice diversion for the Oscars. It's a different movie than you typically see, although in a lot of ways it checks a lot of Oscar-y boxes. It still um, is more humorful than you typically see. And I appreciate that. That's very true. One of my favorite things is, you know, like when you watch a trailer for a movie that's supposed to get a lot of Oscar attention, right? It seems like Oscar-y movies all have the same kind of trailer, very dramatic, very, oh, this actor's coming back to bring his career back from the dead and look at how his transformation is. And you know what I mean? Like those very Oscar-y trailers. The trailer yes. for Shakespeare in Love is flat out a rom-com. Young Will Shakespeare is having a bad year. His last two shows flopped. <laughs> the theater is about to go bankrupt. And the gangsters are moving in. The show must go on. Like, you could swap out any of these people for, like, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts or... Well, you know I mean? it's and, like, funny it would, you should say know, Julia right? Roberts. She almost <laughs> was Viola. Yes, she was. But I just think it's hilarious when you watch this trailer versus another, like, versus, like, the trailer for Saving Private Ryan. They do not look like they belong in the same wheelhouse. But then I think you watch this movie... And it's surprising by actually how intimate this movie is and heartfelt this movie is. Well, it, first of all, it'd be interesting because they were apparently set to go with Julia Roberts. Um, and they were only a few weeks out from beginning filming, but then she wouldn't do it without Daniel Day-Lewis as William Shakespeare. And they couldn't get Daniel Day-Lewis, so she walked out and the project wouldn't turn around. Mm -hmm. And that it took several more years for it to get off the ground Obviously, Joseph Fiennes and ended up playing the part, and Gwyneth Paltrow played the part that Julia Roberts was intended for. Um, who knows what kind of movie we would have got in that particular instance, or if Julia Roberts' career would have gone in a different direction, because that was before she made her first really big rom-com, Pretty Woman. So, just an interesting thought process. This is still a rom-com, but this is this would have been I, would it have been an Oscar-y movie? Would it have been would she have done Pretty Woman? Would any of that have happened? You know, um, but that would have been like a 92 release. So we've been looking around the Unforgiven type time period. Um, secondly, uh, the um, I, I think it is ridiculous that Joseph Fiennes isn't nominated because he's clearly the, the heartbeat of the film. And also the um, heartthrob. Can we just for a moment? <laughs> he's... Well, there's Stunning. several heartthrobs <laughs> in this movie. You know, this is Colin Firth at his best. Mm -hmm. um, we have Rupert you know, Everett. Uh, Rupert Everett looks great. I Ben Affleck actually ben Affleck. Is, is doing it for me in this movie. I mean, this is a uh, maybe it's the tights. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely the tights. It's definitely the tights. Hundred percent, hundred percent. No, but there's just such like a smolder to Joseph Fiennes in this. I don't know. It's, oh, I don't know. He does he things does to me in this movie. quite a bit in this movie. He is beautiful. Um, He's a beautiful man. Um, no, but this is an absolutely uh, fantastic... This is a fantastic film. I, I, It's not perfect. I'm not willing to give it an A. But mm -hmm. um, I think it is not... Uh, I, I think its reputation has been a little clobbered by what it beat for Best Picture... Yes, And I don't know if that's entirely warranted because I think it is a little apples and oranges. 
This is true. This is true. Um, this gets me to another topic I want to talk about, actually. Let's discuss the the epic David and Goliath race that went down for Best Picture this year. Yes. Famously, this movie beat Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, which is yes. now heralded as one of the greatest movies of all time, if not one of the greatest war films of all time. Um, and it really caught people off guard. So... First of all, I want to shout out another podcast that I guested on a little bit ago called When Cinephiles Attack. Look it up, everybody. Um, I was invited on to do this kind of battle royale episode they were doing where we competed Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan, which movie deserves to win. We broke it down per category and came to our own conclusion. Um, head over there after this. Listen to it. It's a good time. But I want to do this a kind of a truncated version of that with you, actually, Rand. So I broke this down into a couple of categories. We have writing, performances, and the technical sides of the movie. So if we're doing Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan, which movie do you think has a better script? I, I think Shakespeare in Love. That's what I think, too. That's what I think, too! Yeah. I think this movie script is so witty, and it's what saves this movie from going too far into the sweet side, right? Because it is cute and it's kind of tied up with a bow, but there's a level of wit there and humor that is very sometimes dirty, sometimes nasty. Like, there's just some grunge here, and it helps the movie pull it out of just being another rom-com. Yes, I think that... um I think the script is is the best attribute of this movie, and I I I think all the other production elements are on on a really good footing. The thing about Saving Private Ryan that may elevate it or may be the argument for elevation, um, I'm not particularly passionate either way here. I just want to say, <laughs> so I'm just gonna do the devil's advocate. Yes. Um, is that what? Sh- what Saving Private Ryan is dealing with is such an important piece of American history um, and world history on top of that. Um, And that gives it automatically going in a gravitas that has this emotional impact that exists before you even watch the movie because you already have all this other knowledge in here. Okay. Um, but the direction of that film and the, um, it's very violent, but the way that it deals, the, 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 the honesty within the graphicness, if that makes any sense, um, is very impactful. And even if you weren't a World War II aficionado, you could go into that movie, and I think you're going to be very affected by it. And it's kind of a perfect marriage of story with Steven Spielberg's innate sentimentality that colors so much of his work, because uh, it it marries that with a certain level of grit that makes the more um, Spielberg-y moments really click in a way that um, they do probably best in this film. Uh, maybe the only other Spielberg film that rises to this level of um, importance in art is Schindler's List, both dealing with World War II, um, mm-hmm. but in very different ways and very different aspects of, of World War II. Um, very yeah, different. I don't. Very different. I, I think that his directing Oscar is solid here i think this is one of his better films um part of me also um i i think still for rewatchability in the spielberg canon you know i'm gonna go to et or raiders of the lost ark or jaws you know um something a bit more easily consumed yeah yeah but um but i i think from an overall quality standpoint this is this is clearly in his top five and I can see there's a legitimate argument about it winning Best Picture. And I, I think, but I think the problem with the argument is that people automatically discount a genre as being unworthy of winning Best Picture. And Shakespeare in Love represents a lighter genre 
and people think that lighter means it can't compete with something that is a heavier subject matter. And I think that that's unfair because I think the quality of a movie shouldn't be about what um, what genre it is. It should be about how well it accomplishes what it's setting out to do. And that's why The Parent Trap is the best movie of yeah. 1998 because it's, it successfully accomplishes what it set out to do. But that's beside the point. Beside the point. <laughs> I agree with you. I think Shakespeare in Love script is better. I think the script is a part of Saving Private Ryan I have the most problems with, mainly in the framing device of having the bookends of the movie with them going to the grave and visiting the grave, and then they have the whole flashback, and then he catches up in the end. It's a bit too much to me, a bit a little, little schmarmy for my taste. Whereas Do you, you think have that Shakespeare it's... in Love... What's that? Do you think that it's because... Do you feel like that that trope has just been overdone at this point where I think that's a good question. I think it is definitely overdone, but we're also finding though that like it can still appear fresh in some movies and there are ways of it working. We talked about Titanic last (laughs) week and it does work in Titanic. I think the way it comes across in Saving Private Ryan, it just doesn't do it any favors there's absolutely no point. It's kind of the thing where it's like, if you could take those out, does the movie still work? The answer for Saving Private Ryan is yes. In fact, it's a better movie. For Titanic, I almost don't think it does work because they needed to have older Rose come back in to tell them the story of where the heart of the ocean is. But you don't need to see older Matt Damon walking with his family to a gravestone, falling to his knees, crying, flashing back, we don't need any of that. It's superfluous. There's, it does no, it does, doesn't do the story any favors. If we had just opened on D-Day, landing at Normandy, I think Saving Private Ryan, honestly, I think it might have won Best Picture. <laughs> I think this is, I was reading a lot of reviews, and this is a something, it's very common with a lot of people talking about Saving Private Ryan. It's kind of a very loathed aspect of the movie. And a part of me thinks if maybe that was taken out, people would have... Uh, maybe voted for it instead of Shakespeare in Love. I don't know. Um, oh, let's get into the well, acting. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what probably really kept them from voting for it was the Oscar campaign waged by Miramax. Which <laughs> yes, hold on, course... hold that thought. We're going to get into that. We are going to get okay. into that. But I want to okay. first finish okay. this thought here. All which right. movie do you think has a better acting, Shakespeare in Love or Saving Private Ryan, performance-wise? I mean, it's it's tough to compare, but I guess... Well, the script affords the actors in Shakespeare and Love more opportunities, I think, you know. I think that a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of... A movie like Saving Private Ryan is kind of physical, you know, and that's a different... That's asking something different of an actor, you know. Um, but I, as a character piece, it's Shakespeare and Love. Right. You know. Yeah, I agree too. I agree too. Well, I think it's what you're saying, though. I don't think and the acting nominations mirror that. Movie. Yes, they do. Do you think they were all warranted? The uh, three yeah, of them? yeah, yeah. And I mean, with I think Joseph Fiennes should have been in there as well. But um, you know, Judy Dench really does do what you're supposed to do as a supporting actress. She she goes in and she makes a really strong impression. Yes, the illusion is remarkable, and your error, Mister Tilney, is easily forgiven. But I know something of a woman and a man's profession. Yes, by God, I do know about that. Yes. And and she makes you feel like she's a larger part of the movie than she is in terms of minutes. Yeah. Um, so she has a she's on screen for what, six minutes, seven minutes? I will tell you, she is on screen for five minutes and fifty two seconds. And it feels like more than that. And it every does. second she's on screen, you're you're looking right at her. So of course you are. She I don't have a problem with the win. Attention. I don't have a problem. And also, it's I the only either. Oscar Judy Dench has to to date, and that is upsetting. She's nominated again this year, but I, I don't think she's favored to win this year. So, No. Um, uh, in doing a lot of reading about this, too, a lot of people hate Jeffrey Rush's nomination for this movie. They think he just kind of rode the tidal wave of nominations for this movie and kind of snuck into the race. 
I couldn't disagree more. I think Jeffrey Rush is hilarious in this movie. And he kind of has that rep the, the line that he keeps repeating. I don't know. It's a mystery. That's what he says. He says it over and over again. He goes, I don't know. It's a mystery. And it's kind of like tying in major plot points together. And it all works out in the end, as it does in the theater. Yes. Um, that's, I don't know. I that's... think he's really, really funny in the movie. I think he deserves his nomination. I also think there's an argument for Tom Wilkinson being in this race. I think he's really, really good in the movie. Well, there's just I so much could have had more. Cast. Yeah, no, yeah. it's um, it's an extremely well-acted movie. Okay, do you have more to your point? Do you want to... Yes, let's talk about the technical sides of the movie. Okay. Versus, so, Shakespeare in Love, all the costumes, cinematography, um, art direction, versus... Saving Private Ryan's. Which one well, I mean, like, I, it's so hard. I mean, like, this is where it's like, how do you give an award for best movie? Um, well, listen, you're an Academy voter in this case, so you tell me. Who are you voting for? Well, you're also talking about things that are all broken down in different categories, Sam. <laughs> um, uh, the costume design is fantastic in Shakespeare in Love, but the period detail in, in uh, Saving Private Ryan is perfect, you mm. know? Um, I'll give costumes to Shakespeare in Love just because they're great. Yeah. I will give cinematography to Saving Private Ryan. Fair. And art direction. Because we're talking about what the strongest aspects of every Spielberg movie are right there. True. So. And also, if we're talking about that too, the score. You know and the I mean? score. Well, Spring I mean, John Williams. So. Yeah. <laughs> you can never go wrong. You're not. Can't go wrong. So, I'll give those technical aspects but but costume design i'll give it shakespeare in love just because i think that uh it, it's uh it's harder i think to do even though the the shakespearean age is done over and over again i still think it's harder because we our references are i mean like we can with spielberg he's talking about something he's doing something that was at the time 50 plus years prior and um and i think that's a little bit easier to go back to because it's recent history mm -hmm. you know so well and also yeah. a lot of them are just in army fatigues you know which yes they're very specific to that point in time but if you're talking about shakespeare in love everybody's wearing a different like elizabethan corset and design on there so it's all different you know all right so it sounds to me like you're giving the edge though to saving private ryan winning more of your technical oscars yes. More of the technical Oscars. I agree with that. I think technically Saving Private Ryan is a little bit better. Yeah. All right, so you gave Saving Private Ryan one win, and you gave Shakespeare in Love writing and, and performances. So to you, if we're going to go by the laws of this <laughs> game I just made up here, <laughs> you think Shakespeare in Love deserved to win over Saving Private Ryan. Does that sound right? Yes, but we're also keeping in mind here that the... That not available to vote for in the race is Gods and Monsters and The Truman Show. In the That's true. My biggest argument about this, though, personally, is you mentioned that this is, like, top five um, Spielberg. I don't think this is top five Spielberg. I don't think this is even his best World War II film. I think, definitely, Schindler's List is a better World War II movie than this one is. And I don't know, top five uh, Spielberg for me, a lot of them are in the 80s and the 70s. We're talking Jaws, we're talking Close Encounters, we're talking E.T. Um, just definitely there's three that just rattled off right there that I think are way better and deserved more. Okay. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Color I mean, Purple. Maybe right. I said top five without really... Um, thinking it through. Thinking how many, how many there is in contention for the top... There are in contention for the top five. Um... But I think that matters when we're talking about Spielberg, especially since they just gave him picture and director, hmm. what, five, six years before this? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I think people were holding a bit more, uh, judging him a bit harsher, you know, and um, than they were versus Shakespeare in yes. Love, you know? And I think that mattered. I think that did come into play when people were putting down their votes for who they wanted to win. I think ultimately they still gave the directing Oscar to, Sh uh, to Spielberg, but picture went to 
Shakespeare in Love. And as you mentioned, there was a huge person behind this happening, and that is producer Harvey Weinstein of Miramax, who basically forced the entire cast and crew to shake hands, kiss babies, basically like politicians do, to get this movie in as many faces of Academy voters as he could. We owe the modern-day Oscar campaign to Harvey Weinstein and kind of this movie, but also a little bit, uh, also a little bit to the English patient, though. <laughs> yeah, another well, I mean, one of his campaign genius movements here. This is this is the Weinstein. This is the era. Well, I mean, like this is what we're going to have to deal with for the next <laughs> however many episodes. Couple decades. The, the Weinstein, Weinstein era does not end until 2017. Bingo. And um, and he does have a stranglehold on uh, on the Oscars because he invents the what we think of as modern day campaigning, and that invention really started getting cemented with Shakespeare in Love, and this is where we now come to what we truly think of as award season, which anybody who's lived in L.A. for a few years, particularly pre-pandemic knows that starting in September every year, all the way until the Oscars, whether they're in February or March, um, there are not only all these other award ceremonies that start kicking off in November and December, but um, there are so many screenings and receptions, and all of them are... You know, eventually, I, I think anybody who's industry adjacent eventually gets to be a plus one at something. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, I've been a plus one, luckily, at a couple uh, at like SAG screenings and uh, WGA screenings and whatnot. And they always get um, really big name people to come to these these screenings and they do Q&As where they are promoting the movie and basically by doing this screening with these really big names here and all these voters, whether they're SAG voters or Academy voters, basically it's schmoozing. It's, it's like... It's politics. Oh, yeah, and like if a person liked a movie but at all, if they then get to hear the person talk about the movie and see somebody famous, you know, then it makes them want to vote for it all the more. And that is, um, you know, and if somebody can get FaceTime, because keep in mind, Academy voters, um, yeah, there's a lot of industry people who are not as phased by celebrity, mind you. But, um, you know, they if they have personal interactions with these people, they're, if you know somebody... Or if you feel like you know somebody, aren't you going to be more likely to vote for them in a category? So that's where this campaigning really comes to fruition. And, and Harvey Weinstein starts this really amps down on this entire process, which had been bubbling for decades of schmoozing for Oscars. And he also kind of starts the whole trend of um, smear campaigning and sort of spreading little mm. bits of misinformation about movies to the media. For example, for Saving Private Ryan, he was spreading the rumor that, oh, people are just saying that this movie is all in the first 15 minutes. Then after that, it's just kind of boring. But it's pretty much just a landing of D-Day. Then the hour and 45 minutes after that, it's just boring and dull. That's kind of what he was spreading, which is interesting to me because... That's something we still hear people saying and talking about today, about Saving Private Ryan, which it should be noted, the rest of the movie is as fantastic as the first 15 minutes of it. Yeah. But it's something that Weinstein used to smear it to get people on the side of Shakespeare in Love. He kind of masterminded that whole idea. So my question to you, Rance, is do you think Shakespeare in Love would have won Best Picture without Weinstein behind it? I don't know if it would have. Um, it's yeah. really hard to look back and see. And I, I feel bad for the people involved um, because removing Harvey Weinstein from the situation, you do have a lot of actors and creative people behind it who are not monsters, who, uh, you know, deserve to be praised for their work. And I hate that movies 
that are good movies are tainted because they have his name associated to it because we all know that he might have been the wheeler and dealer and the money man and you know whatever but he wasn't he didn't write this story he didn't he didn't act this film he didn't direct this film um and so i i i ask everybody to go into these things with a clear mind and understand that just because his name is attached to it doesn't mean that we can't celebrate all these other people who are are really fantastic um we'll never know if shakespeare in love would have won without his involvement um clearly it had a really really heavy impact um but you know what harvey weinstein's in jail and steven spielberg's still making movies so So it all evens out in the end that's true all right fun question for you we talked about how this movie almost became a starring vehicle for julia roberts a couple mm-hmm. of other big names were also considered before Gwyneth Paltrow, including Kate Winslet, Winona Ryder, and Robin Wright. So I want to ask you, of those ladies, Julia Roberts, Kate Winslet, Winona Ryder, Robin Wright, who would you have liked to have seen as Viola de Lesseps in your version of this movie, out of those other potential candidates? They're all so different, so it's difficult. They really um, are. It would have been taking it into... I think, though... Um, because she doesn't have an Oscar, um, and this would have been a good opportunity for her, um, and I do really like her, uh, Winona Ryder, I would have liked to have seen. I was thinking that too. I was thinking of Winona Ryder doing the boy role. Uh, part I think of this she would have really. I think she would have really, really well. I think she would have done the Shakespeare really well too. Her, or honestly, Robin Wright, I can also see doing, playing the Thomas Kent boy version of this. Voice uh, out of this role really, really well, too. I think those two would have been really, really fun. But I like your idea. I'd give the edge to Winona Ryder. I think she would do a really good job. Uh, as In terms of stature, probably Robin Wright. She's a little bit taller, and and maybe it'd be more believable with her as such, but... Um, I mean, uh, that's true. Let me, let me ask you. Did you buy Gwyneth Paltrow as a man in this movie? <laughs> You know, I didn't feel like the movie was asking me to take it too seriously, so it didn't bother it's me not. too much. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> uh, I will say that there was one time when Gwyneth Paltrow is off screen and she's just uh, speaking as if she's a man that I do think she did a good job pitching her voice lower. So... I'll give her. Yeah, I think she does a great job. I mean, she's, I don't, I don't hate her winning. I don't hate it at all. I don't either. I think she fully deserves this Oscar. I love her performance in this movie. And I mean, and you know, Kate Blanchett eventually gets two. So, you know, I think that if it wasn't her, it was going to be Kate Blanchett. I would have liked the symmetry of two Elizabeths winning in the same year. That would have been fun. Actually, that that would have been been fun. fun. (laughs) Of the five best picture nominees this year. Let me, let's refresh the audience. Mm-hmm. The nominees were Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love, and The Thin Red Line. What is your Best Picture winner of this crop of five nominees? I mean, I take out The Thin Red Line and put in... Um, Truman Show. <laughs> Truman Show, I think. But um, probably if I'm looking at it analytically, uh, Life is Beautiful. Mm. I like that choice. That's not what I was expecting you to say. Okay. I mean, Life um, is Beautiful is a great movie. Yeah. On a rewatchability basis, probably Shakespeare in Love. But but no, Life. Is, I think Life is Beautiful is probably the best movie. And the first foreign film that maybe really had a legitimate shot at winning. Definitely. So, I mean, it didn't because Harvey Weinstein. But I mean, <laughs> um, beyond that. This um, is true. Uh, yeah. What about, would you go Shakespeare in Love? I know you love it. My win is is Shakespeare in Love, yes. That is my favorite of the five, and also my favorite of the entire year. What is your favorite of the entire year? And do not say The Parent Trap. You cannot say The Parent Trap. Okay, The Parent Trap is a a lovely movie. It is so much fun. (laughs) Is it your favorite movie of 1998? It's definitely the one from 1998. It is the one from 1998 I've seen the most, if that means anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um if you're making me choose an oscary movie heaven forbid 
I think Gods and Monsters. I like that pick. That's a good pick. Those are our Best Picture winners of the year, guys. Shakespeare in Love and Gods and Monsters. Run out and see them. (laughs) Yeah. All right, what are we going to talk about next? Playing in a theater near you. (laughs) What are we talking about next week? Next week is going to be kind of a difficult one to discuss. We are discussing American Beauty and its Best Actor winner, Kevin Spacey. Now, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Have you seen this movie a bunch of times? Yes, and yes. Uh, we we may have a special guest. Beautiful. Love that. So, join us next week. We'll talk about the 1999 Academy Awards and the Best Picture winner, American Beauty.